Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, Luke 24 is known as really the Great Commission. And Jesus Christ before, well, I'll just tell you, when he first began his ministry, and I know this because I can read, my Bible's got, well, this one doesn't, but the words of Jesus is in red. <laughs> this one doesn't have it that way. But one of the first things that Jesus said is to follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. That's one of the first statements that Jesus Christ made in his earthly ministry found in the Gospel of Mark. He says, you follow me, I'll make you to become a fisher of men. Amen? You know what the last thing he said? The last thing he says is, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? That's our commission. And... We're seeing some really great things happen here, and I don't have time to do an extended teaching here today, so I just want to share with you basically some of the things that we're seeing happen around the world in the United States of America, and I was so blessed this morning to see the great things that's happening right here as people are making their commitment and their profession public before Jesus Christ today through the waters of baptism. Now look at this passage here in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power or authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all the nations. If you have an NIV, it says, Disciple all the nations. Okay? And in the process of discipling, the Bible here says, then baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and then verse 20, and teaching them to observe or to do all the things that I have commanded you. So what we see in discipleship here, Jesus' real commission is a commission of discipleship. People that want to adhere to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in his earthly ministry in many ways by saying it Follow me. Come in my direction. Come with me. All right? Follow me. And so the scripture here is telling us to make disciples. Now, my whole concept, let me tell you something about discipleship. My whole concept of discipleship used to be this. We got a person born again. And then we started a discipling program with them, and we began to disciple them, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was my idea of discipleship. But as I've been studying the scriptures, what I'm seeing is this. Jesus said to disciple the nations, and in the process of discipling the nation, conversion will take place, consummated by water baptism, and then discipleship will continue. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. I want to show you something. This is about quoted about five times in the New Testament. And we're just going to look at it real quick from Mark chapter 4 as the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, I'm going to read a scripture here that's pretty hard to understand. And I'm not going to try to explain everything about this scripture. But I want to bring out some points. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 11, Jesus said, and he said unto them, in verse 11, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are outside of the kingdom, all these things are done in parables. You know, I used to think a parable helped you understand, but really Jesus is saying here, a parable darkens it, it makes it cloudy, so a person can't really understand. He says, to you that are in the kingdom, all these things, I explain all these things, but those that are on the outside, everything's done in a parable. Now, he goes on to say the reason why, in verse 12, that seeing they may see and not perceive, that hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins 
should be forgiven them. Now that's a hard passage, and I'm not going to deal with it, but this is what I want to say about it. Jesus is making it plain here from verse 12 that before conversion can truly come, that a person must see and perceive. That a person must hear and understand. And only then, then and only then, can a person truly be converted and have their sins forgiven them. Now, let me show you another passage, another one in, in Acts chapter 28 real quick. This same passage that we just read out of Mark 4's quotation from the book of Isaiah is also quoted in Acts chapter 28 and verse 26, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, seeing ye shall see and not perceive, for the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, the last five years of my ministry, I've done personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism for the past five years. I've talked to multitudes, hundreds, literally hundreds of people, okay? And I've read all the books on evangelism. I've tried all the evangelism programs. I've done all of those things. But i tell you something. The Lord in these last two years, has given me a radical different understanding about the approach to evangelism and discipleship. And when the Lord showed me that understanding must proceed, it must come before true conversion, then I quit trying to convert people, and I let the Lord convert to people, and I did just what it says in Acts chapter 11, speak words whereby people can be saved. Now, I want you to see something here. Right here in Acts chapter 28 and verse 23, our idea of evangelism sometimes is to get into somebody's face, to preach at them or whatever, try to, in a sense, almost like a salesman, twist their arm, get them to pray or whatever it is. But what I'm seeing from the Scripture that really, basically, most of the time, that's totally wrong. Let me show you something right here. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 23, this is the Apostle Paul under house arrest by the Roman government, and it says in verse 23, And when they had appointed him a day, they came to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God and persuaded them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believe the things which were spoken, and some believe not. Now, I want you to look at that scripture for just a moment. The apostle Paul, being under house arrest, was witnessing to the Jewish people that wanted to come and hear about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is what happened. It said that he expounded and testified to those Jewish people. It says here, concerning Jesus out of the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, he took the word of God and he began to expound the claims of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, Jesus Christ, him crucified. And notice what it says there in verse 23. It says he did that from morning to evening. You know what that means? That means that from a period of probably six to eight hours, the Word was taking effect in the individual's life before 
conversion came about. Now notice what it said in verse 24. Then some believed what he said and then some believed not. Probably a period of six to eight hours of personal ministry through the word before a person had the kind of understanding where they could turn to the Lord from the heart. I was reading yesterday out of Acts chapter 17 how that Paul's custom was to go into the synagogue and minister there. He did that for a period of three weeks. And then it said some were persuaded and some believed. So this is what we've been doing. And you can't see this, but this whole book is full of pictures here. Okay, these are really actually upside down just to show you. These are full of pictures of people. Okay, we can just put it down. Full of pictures of people that we've seen come to conversion. Unchurched people. People that have never set their uh, selves into a church, never come into a church, don't know anything about the Bible. We're not talking here about church transfer folks. We're not saying we're going to start a church plant and then we have all this church transfer from people that are disgruntled coming into a church. No. What we're talking about here is true church growth. Just as it was in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul preached Christ and Him crucified, brought an understanding, people came to conversion and then there was a reason to raise up a church. Now, all of these pictures that we didn't really have time to, to show you here today Okay, were conversions of people that have never darkened a church door. And you know, they were basically all reached the same way. The Word preceded us with the power of the Holy Spirit, a time element, and then conversion, water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the whole thing. When something takes, you see, it says right here, they have to, conversion has to take place from the heart. Obviously, when you have to twist a person's arm, you know, to get a person baptized, or you twist a person's arm to say a prayer, or you twist a person's arm to do this or to do that, obviously that's not from the heart. I'm going to tell you what happens when people are converted from the heart. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost... There were supernatural phenomena. Peter got up and preached and said, Hey, this has happened. is prophesied by the prophet Joel in the last day. Saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And it goes on and on. And then he says, You are the ones that took this Messiah, this Jesus Christ, crucified him and nailed him to a tree. You did it. And notice what happened here. Verse 36 of Acts 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Something took place in the heart. When the Word of God is spoken and the Holy Spirit is moving to bring a person to true commitment and conversion, something happens in the heart. Now he says here in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And I want you to notice who asked the questions and who gave the answers. It wasn't the preacher saying, look, guys, this is what you need to do. I'm telling you, da, 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 da. The preacher wasn't talking like that at all. He was given the claims of Jesus Christ. Something went on in the human heart, and they stopped the sermon. Wait a minute. Hold it. I've heard enough. 
Tell me, what must I do? How can I respond? Now look at it right there. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And immediately he told them what to do. To repent, to be baptized, to receive the forgiveness of their sins, to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, something took place in their heart, and then the response was, this is what you need to do. Now let me show you another example of that. Acts chapter 8. Let's turn over here to Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran and heard a man there read the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him a question. Do you understand what you read? Good question. You know, I've heard people say, well, I've read the Bible, but I didn't understand what it said. It didn't make any sense to me. Philip says this, you're reading the Bible, you're reading it out loud here, I hear you, do you understand? He says, notice, notice the response right here, In verse 31, how can I understand except somebody guides me? I've got to have some help. How am I going to understand unless somebody guides me? I'll tell you what we've been doing is we've been helping people that God is already preparing their heart. We're assisting them, now listen to me, we're assisting them in understanding the Bible for themselves. We're not saying the Bible says this to start preaching at them, which that's good, but we're not doing that. What we're doing is we're assisting them in understanding the Bible for themselves. And the way that we do that is we go to the Scripture and we ask a question and we point them to the Scripture and ask them, would you read that out? Okay. Would you read that out loud? For instance, let me give you an example. Titus 3, 5. Johnny, what do you think a person has to do to go to heaven? Well... I don't know, live the best you can to live a good life, do the best you can. Good answer, Johnny. That's a good answer, Johnny. Now, right here in the Bible, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, Johnny, would you read that out loud? Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Now, Johnny, now, it's not my opinion, not your opinion. According to the Bible, according to this verse right here, what does the Bible say about you trying to be saved by your own good works? Would you read that again, Johnny? Not by works of righteousness that we have done. That's right, Johnny. But how are we saved? What's that next phrase? But according to God's mercy. That's right, Johnny. According to God's mercy and His kindness, He saves us. Not according... You see... And what happens is when you ask a question like that and when you get, take the individual right to the Scriptures where they themselves discover the answer, you see the wheels start turning in their mind. They go, you're seeing what they're thinking. They're thinking, you know, that man didn't tell me that. I saw that in the Bible for myself. Now, back here to Acts chapter 8 in verse 31 the last part of verse 31. He desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. Now, he read out of Isaiah 53. I'm going to have to hurry here. In verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and proclaimed to him, testified to him, preached unto him, Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me? What keeps me from being baptized? Praise God. I want you to notice who asked the question. All he did is proclaim Jesus from the Scriptures. He proclaimed Jesus from the Scripture, and there was some water, and Philip didn't say, now you need to go be baptized. He didn't say any of those things. He preached to him, and he proclaimed Jesus, and something took place in that eunuch's heart. 
And he saw the water. And he said, there's some water, Philip. What would hinder me? What would keep me right now from going down into those waters of baptism right now? Philip said to him, well, there's requirements. And he said, verse 37, if thou believest with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe. See, if thou believest just a little bit. If thou believest just, I don't know, you're struck with an emotion. No, he says, it's wholehearted. If thou believest with all your heart, if you're really going to commit yourself to him, if it's all or nothing, man, is it all, is it wholehearted? If thou believest with all your heart, you may. He says, I do. He took him down there and he baptized him in the waters of baptism. Now, what we've been doing is we've been going into people's homes and we begin a discipleship process, and this is how it works. We begin to become friends with these people. These are unconverted, unchurched people. We become friends with these people. They become our friends. We bring them and minister to them the Word of God. We don't put any pressure on them at all. And they begin to trust us, love us, and likewise we love them. And we bring the Word of God into them and we disciple them. We begin to disciple them because I understand that a person has to understand the claims of Jesus Christ first. We'll disciple them. We'll go in there and we'll give a lesson. And after that lesson, they say, did you get something out of that? Did that help you? You want us to come back? Yes, we want you to come back. And that goes on a week after week after week after week. And you know what? In a period of six to eight weeks, what we see, we see people make a turn. And we see people come and act from their heart. You see? They begin to act from their heart. And when they act from the heart, they're saying, hey, when that takes place, give us everything. Let me tell you what happened. We met a guy. He was standing on his balcony. And he was a male nurse that had hurt his back in, in the hospital in an injury. And he hadn't been working for about two years. And he was in a lot of pain. And we began to talk to him and minister to him, and he, and he started telling us about how much pain he was in. He was in pain day and night. All of a sudden, I said, well, couldn't we just pray for you? You know, just out on a patio of this guy's house or apartment. Could we just pray with you? And he said, well, yeah, go ahead. You know, he was a Jehovah Witness background. He said, well, we'll go ahead, you know, pray. My friends, I laid hands on him, prayed for him. Bam! He said, whoa! He says, he said this is strange. He said, this is really strange. He said, I don't have any pain. You don't have any pain? He said, what couldn't you do? He said, well, I couldn't reach down and touch my toes. He said, reach down and touch your toes. He started reaching down and touching his toes. He said, this is the strangest thing. This is strange. I have no pain. I can touch my toes. He said, this is strange. I said, well, I'll tell you what. What we'd like to do is that Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. And what we'd like to do is come into your home and to begin to introduce and assist you in understanding the claims of Jesus Christ. Would you be open to that? He says, yeah, you can do that. We came in there, and I remember the first week we were in there, and he understood what it meant to respond to God's grace and how he saw that God would save him through faith in Jesus Christ because he was under a work system. And when he saw that, it man, the grin that came on his face. 
I said, well, that's our lesson tonight. You want us to come back next? Well, yeah, would you come back? I remember the next time we came back and ministered to him out of Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, and he could totally relate to going astray, going this way. And he was thinking, man, God would never receive me. And I said, look at the scripture here. The father received him. He hugged him and he kissed him. He didn't make him a slave. He restored him to a full son. And he says, I see what Jesus is saying. I see what Jesus is saying. But he's still not converted. We did that for a period of six weeks. Right at the end of six weeks, Andrew Womack was having a conference, and Dave DeWell was there. And so we coached him to come to the conference. So he was going to this men's conference, and of course, you know, Dave gave him the chop, knocked him to the floor a few times, you know. Knocked him down a few times, he got up and all this stuff. But he still wasn't converted. And after that conference, six weeks of being in his home, we finally said to him, Hey, are you ready to declare what you believe now? Are you ready to declare and, and really make this commitment to Jesus Christ? And you know what? He said, I'm ready. And he made his commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, that was like on a Sunday. And on Tuesday, we were in his home again doing discipleship lessons again with him and his wife. Of course, his wife says, Man, what happened to him? Something happened to my husband. What would you do to that husband? I mean, is this somebody else? Something happened. And this was most unusual how the Holy Spirit put this together that night. There we were. His wife was there. She's unconverted. And he'd just been converted maybe a couple of days. And I said to him, Stephen, what happened? I want to know what happened after the men's events. He said, well, Joe said to me, hey, it's time to make your commitment to Jesus Christ. And he said, I felt the Spirit of God drawing me. Now, we're in his home. His wife's hearing this. I said, would you turn to John chapter 6 and verse 44 and read that out loud, please? And he read that. No man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. He said, wow, that's what happened to me. And then I said to him, I said, then what happened? He said, well, then I called on the Lord and asked him to save me. I said, would you turn to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 and read that out loud, please? It said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, wow, that's what happened to me. I said, then what happened? He said, well, then Rocky and uh, Joel, they laid hands on me. I said, would you turn to Acts chapter 19 and verse 6? Read that out loud, please. Now, his wife's here and all this. See? Read that out loud, please. And he said, Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. He said, wow, that's what happened to me. I said, well, then what happened? He said, well, then I spoke in tongues. I said, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2 and read that out loud, please? He read, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no man understands him, how bit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. He said, wow, that is what happened to me. And then I said, and now his wife sat and listened to all this, see? I said, then what happened? He said, well, then I felt like I was drunk. I said, will you turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 15? It says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day said, God, I'll pour up my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters and your handmaids. And right when we got to that part, I turned to his wife. I said, oh, it's for women too. <laughs> And then I said to his wife, 
I said, would you turn to John chapter 6 and verse 37 and read that out loud? She read this. She says, all that the Father giveth me will come to me, and him that cometh to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. I said to her, Christy, I said, what is Jesus saying here? What does Jesus say here in this verse? She says, if I come to him, if I come to Jesus, he won't cast me out. I said, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. I said, now, why would you need to come to Jesus? I said, would you turn to Acts chapter 26 and verse 18? She read this. The commission of the Apostle Paul. And Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, I'm sending you to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, to God to receive the forgiveness of their sins. I made her read it out loud. I said, now, Christy, why would you need to come to Jesus? She said, according to that verse, she said, well, to turn me from darkness to light, from Satan to God to receive the forgiveness of my sins. I said, Christy, will you come? And the moment I said, Christy, will you come? Her hand shot up in the air and she said, Oh Lord, I'm asking you right now to save me right now, to come into my life, Lord, to forgive my sins now, oh God. I said, now would you turn to Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 and read that out loud? And she read this. It says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? I said, what would Jesus want you to do now, Christy? She just raised her hand straight. See, I didn't even have time to tell, repeat after me or nothing, you know. She says, oh, Lord, give me the Holy Ghost. Baptize me the Holy Ghost. She read it in the Scripture and she understood, God, give me the Holy Ghost. Then I said to her husband, converted, you know, three days, and I never will forget this. I said, Stephen, do you have faith right now to go over and you lay hands on your wife? And the moment you put your hands on your wife, the power of the Holy Ghost is going to come on her. She's going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and she's going to speak with new tongues. I said, have you got the faith for that? And I never will forget what he said. He said, don't make me mad. Don't make me mad, he said. But this is the whole thing he said. Don't make me mad, of course it'll happen. That's what he said. Don't make me mad, of course it'll happen. I said, well, go lay hands on right now on your wife. He went just like this. When he laid hands upon his wife. Now, we're talking about a little apartment complex. This isn't inside the church, folks. Huh? A little apartment house. When he laid hands on her, the Holy Spirit came on her in such power, in such she goes, oh, man, whoa, she said, whoa, I'm, whoa, she said, I've never had anything happen like this to me before. She said, whoa, she said, I, I can't even stand. When we were trying to hold her, you know, we were trying to hold her, I guess. And finally, finally, one of my friends said, I just let her go, you know. He just... <laughs> See, when we let her go, she went boom. Right to the floor, on her knees, raised her hands, started worshiping Jesus and speaking in new tongues. Two days after that, see, it's how many know that you got to have a day off once in a while? 
And it was my evening kind of to be alone with my wife. It was getting late at night. I had my pajamas on. Yeah, I did. I had my pajamas on and my robe, and I was sitting with my wife, and we were down in our basement, and I heard, man, who's knocking on my door this late at night, and I've got my pajamas on? <laughs> Go to the door. It's a friend of mine, Joe. Joe says, I've got two drunks in the pickup truck, and they want to be water baptized. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You're bringing some drunks in here and you want me to water baptize these people? He said, no, you don't understand the drunkenness spirit. And it was Stephen and Christy, the ones that I'm telling you about. And Joe went over there, see. Took our discipleship, by the way, we got a new discipleship program, 48 lessons over there on that table that you can minister to people just what I'm telling you about. We, we proved it. I mean, we've already proved it, and we just put it together now so any of you can use it. you got the questions to ask and the answers for you even, everything right over there. Well, he went over there and took the discipleship lesson on water baptism, see. They've just been baptized with the Holy Ghost, you know. It's my night off. I'm sitting downstairs in my basement. You see, Joe goes over to their home, takes the discipleship lesson of water baptism. Halfway through it, she says, Stop! Hold it! Wait a minute! Stop! I've heard enough. Gotta have it now. <laughs> Gotta have it now. Gotta be baptized now. So he knocked on my door. <laughs> Two drunks out there. They want to be water baptized. He's a drunk and all the stress. Bring them in. Set them down, started to give them some more additional teaching. And I said, all I've got is a horse tank, a cattle tank that my brother-in-law left in my backyard. You call it your garden. Just an old horse trough out there. I said, it'll take me an hour and a half to put enough water in it to baptize you. Sit down. Boy, that water was cold. <laughs> I said, sit down. We'll have some more teaching. And we'll put water in this old horse tank. So there we was in the middle of the night putting cold water in an old horse tank. They went out there, said, got to have it now. Do you want to make your profession of faith public tonight through the waters of baptism? They just raised their hands and said, God, I just thank you. You sent these men over to us. I thank you that Jesus tonight from now on, it's total commitment with you. The old life's gone, the new life's come, it's total with you. Put them down, just like you're going to do in a few minutes. Put them down, brought them back up. Said, man, was it cold. Go get in the pickup truck. The motor's already running and the heater's on. Didn't even bring any clothes, see? Change the clothes or anything. Two days after that, the lady says to me, she says this, I've had nicotine addiction, two and a half packs of cigarettes a day for 35 years. And she says, when I was raised out of the waters of baptism, she says, my addiction was totally gone. I have no desire for cigarettes. The nicotine addiction stayed in my backyard. Amen. I was wondering why my dogs were smoking cigarettes the next day. <laughs>
Folks, this thing is real. Amen? Put Bible principles plus the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and just obey and you'll get Bible results. Amen? And I am so pleased today to be here to witness these public professions of faith. Amen? Isn't that good? Well, my time is out. Thank you for letting me come and share for a few moments. I'm turning over to you, Pastor. Please continue to listen as Don Crow explains the Discipleship Evangelism Program in detail. The Discipleship Evangelism Program was designed primarily to, the way that we use it is the very hardest way that a person can use it, and that is to reach out and to minister to lost, unconverted people. Now, the program could be used in many different ways. It could be used in cell groups or Bible studies or for church growth, prison ministries, new believers class, altar call follow-up, or to disciple your friends or your neighbors. But the way that we use the program, the way that I use the program primarily, is the very hardest way that can be used, and that is to reach lost people. And the way that we usually go about that is this that after we pray and intercede and ask the Lord and believe God to lead us to people that He's already working with in their heart. A lot of times we will go to an apartment complex, something similar to this, knock on a door. We just tell them we're doing an outreach and give them a personal testimony. For instance, my wife, Wendy, had asthma since she was about four years old. And 23 years ago, after we were married, God miraculously and instantly healed her. And she's been healed for the last 23 years. Now, we say things like that at the door when we're talking to people. One of my girls, my twin girls, are going to be 18 years old in December. And one of them was stillborn. She was actually stillborn or dead for over eight minutes. And by God's grace and through Jesus' name and faith in his name, God brought her back after a period of being eight minutes without breathing on her own. I tell testimonies like that at the door. And when we tell those kind of testimonies, defenses come down. And then we tell them the real reason we're here is for this reason. Jesus said to go make disciples of the nations. And a disciple is someone that wants to learn about the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I realize that maybe you don't want to go to church for whatever reason. And even if you did go to church and you had a question, you couldn't raise up your hand and interrupt the pastor and say, Pastor, what do you mean by this? So what we would like to do is we'd like to come into your home and introduce on a video or cassette tape in just 10 minutes a biblical topic. Then we are going to go ask a few questions and take you right to the Bible and assist you in understanding what the Bible says. We don't know everything about the Bible. Usually people that knock on your door and things like that and have an attitude like we know everything we'll tell you the way and we just say to people hey we don't know everything you know there's things that we don't know but what we do is we go right to the scriptures ask questions and discover for ourselves what the scriptures is saying on different topics now when we do that, usually people say, well, what church are you with? And we say, well, we're not with a particular church. In fact, I go to this local church, and my friend here goes to another local church. And we are not here trying to get you to join a church. We're here to tell you what Jesus Christ did for me, did for my family, and to tell you that God's Word is available, and we'll assist you and help you in discovering the truths of that. And the Bible is our only textbook. We're not trying to bring in additional magazines or anything like that to get you to look at the Bible from a 
particular point of view. We try to keep our lessons short. And Jack or John or whoever I'm talking to, we just tell them this. This is our guarantee. Okay? You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be spiritually strengthened. You're going to be built up. You're going to say, man, did I learn something tonight. And if that doesn't happen, we'll never see your face again. Now, John, is this something that you may be interested in? And they're going to either say yes or no. If they say yes, what we do is we say, well, we're usually in your area on a Tuesday night, and we're not going to just barge into your home. If you'll give me your name and your phone number, we'll call you on Monday night to make sure you'd still like for us to come Tuesday evening. Then we set it up, and we go right into their home, and we begin a discipling process. And these are unconverted people. These are unchurched people that we're doing this with. One pastor in Colorado Springs asked me this. He says, Don, I want to know what's going to happen after the very first lesson, discipleship lesson. And I told him, this is what's going to happen. After the very first discipleship lesson, a person is going to know what they need to do to respond to God's grace. We're not going to twist their arm. We're not going to try to make them pray. We're not going to do any of those kind of things. We're going to bring them an understanding from the Word of God. We call it an interactive Bible study because they are participating in the study as we ask them questions. But after the very first lesson, they're going to understand what they need to do to respond to God's grace. We always ask them, did you get something out of that lesson and do you want us to come back? We're hitting on probably over 90% of the people say, yes, I got something out of that. I learned something tonight. Yes, I'd like for you to come back. And as we continue to disciple people throughout weeks and even sometimes months, understanding comes of what it means, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The pastor asked me, all right, Don, what's going to happen after Lesson 15? After Lesson 15, this is what will happen if a person continues with us. He will have repented of his sins. Water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will know what it is to come into Christ and to be in Christ. That's going to happen. There's three levels to this program. That's going to happen on level one. Level one brings an understanding of foundational truths. And as people understand those foundational truths of what the claims of Jesus Christ really are and how to respond to those, we see people come into Christ and in miraculous ways, God is touching their lives. That's what happens in level one of our program. There's three levels. In level two, it's more for the person that's already come into Christ. And in that level, there'll be teachings on things that are important, such as renewing your mind, how to meditate on God's word, the importance of the local church, the authority of the believer, God's plan for your marriage, God's love, and things like this. Now, on level three, that's level two. Level three is awesome because level three should be studied before you actually go to level one. And the reason is, is that level three is a complete training program that teaches you and shows you how to teach discipleship lessons. You know, I have a car radio and I can turn it on and I can turn it to a channel. And I can turn it on and off and I can change the channel. That's about all that I can do. But if I read the manual that came with my automobile, it'll show me all kinds of things that radio does that I didn't know that it could do. Level three of the discipleship program is like the training manual. It's the manual that teaches you how to use this program. So before you ever attempt to teach discipleship lessons, you should go to level three and study the lessons 
on level three. There's a complete training program of how to teach discipleship lessons, how to ask a question to an individual, get them to read the scripture out loud, and draw the understanding from the scriptures right out of the Bible. And it's awesome. Now, also on level three, we have a complete training program on how to use your testimony, how to talk to somebody at the door, how to talk to somebody that you don't know or have never seen, how to start a discipling lesson with someone that you've just met. So it's an awesome program. We have 475 pages, almost 500 pages of written material with 48 lessons that it's probably taken us 20 years probably to learn all of this material and all these lessons. A lot of times I just teach directly out of these manuals. It's one thing to say, go and disciple the nations. It's another thing to be sitting in church and saying, but pastor, how do we do that? These are the tools that will show you how to disciple, how to reach unconverted people, and uh, all of those different kind of things. Now, the discipleship program, if I had a, just one word to describe the program, I would describe it with this word, tools. The discipleship program are tools. Just like if you were going to, a mechanic was going to work on a car, he'd have a screwdriver, he'd have a pair of pliers, he would have maybe a voltage meter and some other things, all kinds of things, all kinds of tools. You just don't do it with your hands. The discipleship program are tools to place into the hands of the body of Christ so that they themselves can do the work of the ministry. This is what the tools are that we are providing. We are providing six videos that have 48 lessons. Those 48 lessons will introduce a topic to a person that you are discipling. Then we have outlines. Outlines accompany the video and they will follow along with the video and you can run it on a copy machine, give it to the person you're discipling and they can follow along on the video. After you turn the video off, you have a teacher's guide. And the teacher's guide is what is used to ask a question. There's questions that you will ask the person that you are discipling. You'll take them right to the Bible, get them to read the Bible out loud and discover that answer for themselves. In that way, the person is also part of the Bible study. It's just not somebody over there preaching at them. So we have a teacher's guide that will be used by the person discipling to ask questions and the person that you're discipling will discover those answers and you will assist them in discovering the answers right from God's Word. Then we have also additional material. Additional material is what you will study to prepare you to teach the discipleship lessons more effectively. It will be additional information besides just the questions that you're going to ask an individual. Then you're going to have a detailed teacher's guide. A detailed teacher's guide is something that we've designed to make it easy for anyone to disciple even if they don't have a strong teaching gift. The way that works is you'll be reading a paragraph that has a number upon it and then after you read the paragraph you go to the bottom of the page and ask a question. You'll read the next paragraph that has a little number by it and then you go to the bottom of the page and ask a question. In this way a person that doesn't have a strong teaching gift he'll never get off on some tangent, he can stay right to the subject and bring the points across that needs to be brought across. It's called a detailed teacher's guide. And then, of course, I've already mentioned it, but the third level, we have a complete training program on video. We've designed 
these lessons, not just designed them and said, hey, go do this. We have actually gone out and we've put this into practice and we've worked in the field as we've ministered to people. We've worked in the field and we've proven that this material works. We've probably been a year, year and a half out into the field ministering to lots and lots of individuals before we ever release this program. I know this program works. We've proven it. We've seen God miraculously turn lives around through this program. So if we can't help you in any other way, our address is the Andrew Womack Ministries, and that's P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the zip code is 80934. 